Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high-octane boost of in-the-trenches, tell-it-like-it-is reality therapy for personal, business, and real estate investing success. With your hosts, powerpreneurs, Angela Thomas and Ron Phillips, it's time to get real. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. This is Angela Thomas, and I'm here with Ron Phillips. Hey, Ron. Yeah, we're here. Hey, and today we have uh, we have Warren Taro with us. Um, awesome guest. We're going to talk about some uh, great topics. You don't want to miss this. Uh, Warren is a CPA and the founder of Taro Accounting. Um, he specializes in working with real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and wealth builders. Uh, Warren also focuses his practice on helping people grow their investments and businesses by reducing their largest expense, which is, of course, taxes. Um, and Warren has many notable real estate and wealth building icons, such as Ron Phillips. Oh. Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Oh. Just kidding, Ron. Um, but Ron actually does. <laughs> we just lost half the audience. If we didn't lose him on CPA, we just lost him on, on that. I know. I know. I know. But yeah, no, Ron is one of his, uh, one of his clients, along with Robert Kiyosaki, Jack Bosch, uh, who I don't think has been on here yet, but he will be, um, and many others. So welcome, Warren. Thanks for being here today. <laughs> Thanks. This is great being here with the icon himself, Ron Phillips. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's getting here now. Uh, here we go, yeah. Warren, I think, you know, I, I just want to tell everybody uh, that just because the word CPA and taxes were used in the opening monologue of this deal, that we should not, no one should like hang up on this deal yet, right? Yeah, do give not, us a sec. not hit pause, <laughs> this is gonna be really good. And let me, let me tell everybody why, because I met Warren, uh, I met you in a, in a mastermind, Jack Bosch's mastermind to be exact. And I, um, that year was, it was really uh, timely because, um, man, I've been paying a lot of taxes, Warren. Good Lord. Uh, I mean a lot. And just so everybody out there understands, um, Warren is, uh, he's the best at what he does. He saved me hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes, hundreds of thousands. And um, so everybody should listen up. Um, this topic is actually really cool, Warren, because uh, I know that you know this, but the penny a day thing, we've talked about this before on the show, but the penny a day where you, it doubles every day, you know, and then you get to the end of the month and then all of a sudden you've got over $5 million. Crazy thing is, is that if you tax that on every gain, uh, that that $5 million during the same exact time period is only worth 48196 at a tax rate of 30%. And, and many high-paying people who listen to this show are paying way more than that, right, Warren? Yeah, yeah. but you get so much for that tax money you put in. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, wow. you're, you're, felt, you're very appreciated. You get letters and everybody thanks you for supporting them and all that, right? Yeah. I got oh. a letter. I got a letter right here, Warren. Uh, this one right here. I got this one right here. <laughs> I, I don't think this is a love letter at all. <laughs> You're reading it wrong, Ron. Come on. I think it's right. You get to pay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Warren, you're here today to help us figure out how to pay less in tax. Pay our. Let me really rephrase that. To pay our fair share in taxes. Would that be appropriate? 
Exactly. And not beyond your fair share. That's exactly right. Yes. That's exactly right. Um, yes. And the lower, the better, in my opinion. Um, it is nearly impossible to acquire uh, great amounts of wealth when you are taxed every single time you make any money. It is, it is nearly impossible. So yep. to that end, Warren, we have talked um, on the show several times about um, cost segregation studies and, and other really, uh, in the real estate world, things that are really sexy. Um, <laughs> and we've, we've talked about this before um, several times, you and I. So I thought maybe I'd just have you on and let's see if we can go over what this is, how it works, um, and combine it with any other strategies that you, th that you think that we've got time to talk about today. And just let's, let's maybe help some people open their minds as to what can be done in, in, yeah. in the awesome. world. And dumb it way down for me, please. <laughs> oh, it has to be for me too. So. Okay. All right. Good. So, so, so real estate, I mean, there's a lot of tools we have and, and, uh, <laughs> With, uh, with the new tax law, we've even got more tools in our arsenal to kind of fight tax. But uh, cost segregation and the way the new rules interplay with it, it's almost too good to be true. And then you have to realize, like, well, what, where did our president come from? What industry? The real estate industry. So if he's going to pass a tax law, maybe it might benefit his own where he came from. No, politicians don't do that, Warren. <laughs> But, yeah. but so the cool thing, right, the cool thing is the tax code is fair. And everybody looks at me like I'm an idiot when I say that. But it's fair because it treats everybody the same. I mean, it doesn't treat, you know, it treats everybody who does the same thing the same way, right? You know, if I'm making, if I'm making a, if I have a minimum wage job, it's not, I'm not going to be treated exactly the same as, well, Donald Trump's being treated, right? Because we're not coming from the same place. But if I do the exact same things he does, I get treated the exact same way. So that's why I say it's fair. It's a respecter of actions, not a respecter of persons. That makes sense. Right. Cool. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Which is why I'm a little dumbfounded as to why people don't just go figure out what rich people are doing that are paying less taxes and do that. I mean, it, it seems remarkably simple to me. Because it requires work, a lot of work, right, Ron? I mean... It's not. <laughs> well, and, and some people don't want to be rich. Let's face it. It's, they don't want to. They don't want to make a lot of money. They, it's, much, it's much easier to be able to sit back and complain about stuff and have people feel sorry for you. And, you know, be a victim. Yeah. yeah. Why well, go through that trouble of actually solving my problems? And anyway, that's a whole yeah. different podcast. <laughs> we could get mired in that for hours. We could, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, going back to this, so what is, you said there's lots of tools, but right. what is cost segregation? Just so, let's, let's talk about cost segregation and understand there's going to be a lot of other kind of details yeah. that go around this, but we're going to keep it really simple and keep it so that everyone understands it and they want to jump in and do it. And we could always talk about the details at another point, but okay. cool. when you, when we buy residential real estate, there's something called depreciation. Probably all of you guys understand depreciation. And the great part about depreciation is that it's a non-cash expense. And that's what allows us to create what we would call paper losses. Nobody wants real losses. Even if they're deductible, we don't want real losses, right? Because even though it might feel like it, none of us pay tax at the 100% tax bracket. So losing money is not what we want to talk about. But paper losses, on the other hand, is where is is that's the magic in all of this. And as I said, paper losses in real estate come from depreciation. 
If okay. you have a residential property, under the normal rules, we would depreciate that over 27 and a half years. So how do we do that? Basically, we take the purchase price. We have to break out a little bit of something for the land because even the government's not crazy enough to let us write off land. But <laughs> out of that remaining balance, just divide it by 27 and a half. And that's how much you get to depreciate over a 12-month period. And okay. that's interesting, but we can make it better than that. Because that rule is the rule for real estate, real property, right? We know the difference, right? There's real property and there's personal property. Right. Real property, we, in a, a real property for residential purposes, we'd appreciate over 27 and a half years. Let me jump back and also say, for taxes, this is the only time I'm going to say this, taxes make things simpler when it comes to, is it residential property or commercial property? In the, in the real estate world, there's a bunch of things and, you know, the size of the units and or, or number of units and all these things that count. In tax world, it's residential if people live there. It's commercial if people don't live there. So even a 100-unit apartment complex is residential. Okay. So residential, we, we depreciate over 27 and a half years. Commercial is 39 years. Okay. But when you buy that, let's say, apartment complex or single family home or whatever we're buying, you're buying more than just the real estate. You're also buying personal property. And personal property can be depreciated as quickly as five years. That's a whole lot better than 27 and a half. And personal property is defined as things you can remove without causing damage. So things like kitchen cabinets and countertops and ceiling fans and appliances and shelving and all these kinds of things you can remove without causing damage. So therefore, we can depreciate those over just five years. Now, I know if you watch HGTV and you watch the rehab shows and the rent, <laughs> they, it doesn't look like you can remove those things without causing damage, but. I couldn't, I know that. But. Well, sledgehammers do make better television, but. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, okay, that's interesting. We all know that HGTV is, is the truth. It's super accurate, it's on TV, so. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Now, in, okay. In addition to those things on the inside of a property, there's also things on the outside of a property. And things on the outside are called land improvements. Now, I said we can't depreciate the land, but we can do, depreciate the things we do to the land. And land improvements are depreciated over 15 years, which is not as good as, as five, but it's way better than 27 and a half or 39. So. Right. Land improvements are things, just think about anything on the outside, driveways, sidewalks, landscaping, irrigation, walls, fences, swimming pools, all that, everything we do to the outside is 15 years. So even, even here, I live in Phoenix, so even here in Phoenix, landscaping is gravel that we throw in the front yard. So we get to depreciate gravel. It's uh, <laughs> uh, fantastic. Now, what makes all of this exciting, those, that's the normal rules, right? That's the way we, we've had those rules in place for, forever, basically. They've been around for a long time. What makes things better as of the beginning of, of 2018 with the new tax law is they have something called bonus depreciation. And some of you know bonus depreciation has been around for a while. I won't talk about the way it used to be because it got way better to the January 1st of 2018. And by way better, what we're looking at is they say anything 
that has a useful life of 15 years or less, instead of depreciating it over that lifetime, we can elect to write it off 100%. Oh my gosh. So, wow. But, and, that's, and that's a lot of stuff, right? That's a lot, that's, of, stuff. That's a lot of stuff. And um, I, I'm not sure that, <clears throat> I mean, maybe there's some people on here who are understanding how sexy this is just out of the gate, Warren, but. <laughs> I doubt it. I'm not. <laughs> just for the sake of, of, I know that there are a handful out there that probably don't understand just how sexy what you said is. Let's try to, let's try to put, like, encompass this into some, some numbers for them. And I know this will be difficult because all the studies are going to be different, but let's just generally speaking talk about this because you can move all of that stuff that is 15-year depreciable to one-year depreciable. Uh, that's massive. That's, that's potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars year one, right? Right. And even, even better than one-year depreciable, right? I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but you know, technically, if I close on that thing on December 31st, I get that whole deduction for that whole year. Right. Yes. Whoa. Yes. Yeah. I, and hence the reason I closed on December 30. I think it was 30th. I can't remember if it was 30th or 31st. But yes, immediately deductible. So, and then this is why I am not um, the one who's talking about this. No, enough to be dangerous about cost segregation. But that's a nuance that, that makes a huge difference. You know, whether you were going to push your closing into January or you were going to close, uh, you know, in December, that's a, that makes a massive difference in your tax bill. Right. So <clears throat> this cost segregation, uh, so really what we're talking about is an accelerated depreciation schedule, right? Exactly. And the cost segregation piece of this, um, what does it do? How does that play into the accelerated depreciation? So we need to we need to somehow determine. So when you you buy that property, and let's say you know buying a five hundred thousand dollar property, and right now we're just I'm going to make up numbers, and so they're not going to be any reliable be reliable for anything. But uh, let's say you buy a property for five hundred thousand dollars, and let's make it maybe a six unit apartment complex. What the heck, and. Uh, We've just got through saying, well, the kitchen appliances and cabinets and all these things and the parking lot and land, all these things can be depreciated faster than 27 and a half years. And so how do I determine out of that $500,000 that I paid for this property, how much goes to all of those individual items? You know, how much goes to the kitchen appliances and how much goes to the sidewalks and, and the irrigation system and all of these things? Right. Well, that's where we have somebody come in to do a cost segregation study. And it's important, in my opinion, that you have a third party to do this. The, the IRS frowns on you doing your own cost segregation study. <laughs> well, that's weird. I don't yeah. know why they would. Why in the world would that be weird? I mean, that's... <laughs> it, it's not in the law, right? The, there's no law that says you can't do your own. But when we're looking at such a big tax advantage, let's, let's, not have gray areas. Let's just go right for having somebody do a cost segregation study. There's companies out there. They'll, they'll stand behind their, their, their study. If the IRS questions it, they'll come in, they'll have all their evidence as to why. And so uh, you're, you're, you'll be light years ahead of trying to say much more protected. Up. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's not that much money, right. In the, in the scheme of yeah, things. It really isn't to get hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially of a write-off and in, in year one, it's peanuts. Yeah. 
And, you know, and there's companies out there, some of the companies we work with, they'll, they'll actually, uh, you give them the address and the amount you paid for it, and they will give you a preliminary report that says, before, before I don't know how they do it because they, they couldn't spend a lot of time because they don't charge you for this. They'll go out just for just talking to them. They'll say, all right, we looked up your area and that building, and we think these are the amounts we'll be able to come up with when we do yeah. this. And they're usually pretty accurate. And then they'll also tell you the cost. And they'll also be able to even sometimes tell you what your tax savings are going to be. So you can see all of that before you even commit to doing it. Yeah, and it's That's hilarious great. because, um, <laughs> Angela, I don't know if you've seen one of these, but it's, it's, it's kind of comical because it's, 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 obvious, it's obviously a sales pitch. Warren. Right. I mean, they're, this is why you should pay us X because we're going to save you Y. And the numbers are the biggest no-brainer on the planet. You know, if, you, if you're a salesperson and your job is to go and say, hey, you can pay me $10,000 and I'm going to save you $300,000 off of your taxes. Um, <laughs> no. I mean, yeah. You, no please don't. Yeah, please don't. Right. <laughs> that hurts. Uh, yeah. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Uh, so anyway, yeah. Cool. <laughs> they'll do that and then, they, and then they'll actually provide the study too. It takes a little bit longer to, to do that because it's very involved. Okay. Does it matter when you, when you have this study done? Like, do you have to have just acquired the property or when, when can you do this? Great, great, great question. It's, oh, best, it's best to do it as soon as you can when you acquire the property because the study is basically trying to say what, that, what the condition, what, what that property was the day you bought it because we have to make that allocation based on the okay. day you bought it. It's not impossible for them to go back in time. And there's even some, some uh, uh, IRS rules that let, this, let us do this even, even up to a couple years later, which I don't recommend. It, it makes it a lot more complicated. Some, and, and the value starts to decline quite a bit. But it might still be worth it in some people's cases to, to go back in time. But, but doing it as soon as you can, as close to the closing as possible, is, is good. Okay. Cool. I, I've even seen one guy, uh, one company, uh, they went in for one of our clients and, and the client said, well, you know, I'm planning on doing a renovation of all this stuff. And they said, let us go in first and do the allocation. And there's a couple of things that are really good about that. So let's huh. say, let's say you're going to go in and you got, you got an apartment, you're going to be renting these out. And there's maybe four or five of the kitchens that, you know, within the first three to four months as soon as the vacancies turn or whatever, you're going to demo those kitchens and, 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 re, and, and redo it. If we know the value of that kitchen items separately beforehand, before you tear them out, well, bonus depreciation or no bonus depreciation, we've now torn all that out. So we've disposed of it so we can write that off. And then we come back in and add the, the new stuff and we get to now take the bonus depreciation and write it off all over again. So, there's a really good idea to get them in there beforehand. And this company even said, hey, after you go in and do this, we'll give you a second report to show what was, what was, what was removed so you can have that as support for writing all that off. Wow. Okay, so let's, let's, hit a, let's hit a timeout for just a second, okay, because I didn't know this, Warren. And um, I love it when I learn new stuff. <laughs> especially when it's about things that I'm currently doing. So what you're saying, let me just want to make sure I get this. I go buy a million dollar small apartment building. Uh, the idea is that I'm going to renovate many, if not all of those units 
you're saying I should go get the cost segregation study immediately upon closing, do the cost segregation study, and then I should uh, get a second, uh, I don't know, like catch up study or whatever, six months or eight months later when I'm done with my renovations of the project, and then I can, I can double arbitrage my, my money. I can write these things off. Right. I mean, we're still not, we're not double dipping, right? But because you are spending more money to do the renovation, but we're taking full credit for everything you've put into it and everything you've taken out of it. So, well, kind of, but the, the whole idea of me increasing the, of renovating the property so that I can increase the value of the property through the rents. Right. So, so I kind of am double dipping, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if you want to, because I'm spending money, but I'm I'm making that money. You're gonna up. make it up anyway. Yeah, like leagues, yeah. I'm gonna make it up because the the property's gonna be worth way more money when I get done with it. Right. Interesting. That's really uh, interesting. Um, okay, so, all you rehabbers out there I who know. are buying apartment buildings, I hope you just caught that little nugget because because uh, I did for sure. Okay, so that was apartment buildings, which kind of leads me to my next question. Like for me. You know, I'm starting, I just have like little single unit rentals, condos, little single family homes, like someone that's just starting out. Is it worth it? Or can you even do this on the, all those little cheap single family properties? Or is this more for bigger stuff? It, it, it's in the olden days, <laughs> pretty last year. <laughs> last year. So you're old uh, enough to remember that. Uh, I would say, yeah, it's really for the bigger properties. But with bonus depreciation, it changes the calculus uh, tremendously. Uh, now, and, 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 and I'm sorry, but I, I don't have like the, hey, if you're spending less than $40,000 on a property, don't do it. I don't have that number. The exact number, yeah. Because it's also going to depend very much on the property. But like I said, these guys, uh, these the cost seg guys will still for a small property, they will still give you that preliminary report. And so it's worth looking at it, talking to your tax person going, hey, this is, is, it, is it worth it? What does this mean to me in dollars? Uh, I, I know we've, we've had somebody, both of you know, we just talked that we'd had this conversation with about some smaller houses and uh, yeah, it, it made sense, marginally made sense, but you know. But it kind of depends on what the, what the study costs, right? I mean, if you're going to pay $10,000 and you bought a $100,000 house, that, that doesn't pencil that out. That just doesn't make sense. Right. But, but if, if you can get a study for a few hundred bucks, Warren, that makes sense all day long, doesn't right. it? And, and these, smaller house, these smaller properties aren't that expensive. I, I mean, probably under $1,000. Yeah. I mean, I've um, seen the price that we're offering. So it's, yeah, yep. I know you can get pretty, pretty, pretty low on those. Now, problems. now it's important. I should throw the caveat in because I, I imagine most of you guys out here listening understand these rules, but I should throw it in there anyway, right? You want to check with your account and your tax person to make sure you're able to deduct these real estate losses in the first place, right? So there right. are rules about passive losses and remember uh, real estate is going to be considered passive. So we want to make sure you're going to be able to take advantage of these things. So tell us, um, Warren, how, how a person would be able to. So let's, let's save the real estate professional thing for a minute. Let's just say uh, that you're not in the real estate business. You're, you're one of our clients or, you know, you're just out there buying some rental properties, but you're like a, a, a I don't know, you're a dentist or you're a physician or, or you own a small business 
then you're just buying with your extra money, you're just buying some rental properties. Right. So how would a person in that scenario be able to take passive losses above and beyond what the property produces? So, so passive losses, and first of all, maybe let's define passive losses. Passive losses are basically your money working for you. You're spending, you're, you're not working full time in this. You're not putting any time in, you know, and even though rental real estate seems like you are, uh, by definition, you're not. You're not. Right. And so passive losses, according to the general rule, can only be used to offset other passive income. There's some exceptions to that. We're not going to talk about the exceptions here because let's look at these guys and the person you just described, Ron, wouldn't fit any of those exceptions anyway. So then passive losses do me no good whatsoever. Well, that's not exactly true. First of all, let's just, let's say you had a small property, let's say it cash flowed $5,000 a year. So you had positive cash flow, $5,000 a year you put in the bank. But let's also say you had $8,000 worth of depreciation for some reason. So for tax purposes, you have a $3,000 loss, even though you put $5,000 in the bank. Now, because of these passive rules, I might not be able to use that $3,000 right away. So it rolls forward, but we'll talk about that in a second. Let's not overlook what you just did though. You just put $5,000 in the bank that you paid zero tax on. So let's not forget that. Yep. Yeah. Now that $3,000 rolls forward to the next year. And the next year we look, can he use these losses this year? No, it keeps rolling forward indefinitely until you dispose of the property. So when you dispose of the property in a taxable event, so not a 1031 exchange, but you dispose of the property, the year you dispose of the property, all the passive losses that have been carrying forward for it free up that year. And you get to deduct on that year against your W-2 or your business or any other kind of income. So, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Huh. Okay, very cool. Yeah. But, but let's also go back and say, you know, you, you don't, you can use those, that $3,000 passive loss against any other kind of passive income. It doesn't have to be even real estate. And so, so, so some doctors out there, this is what we've been finding on, on some doctor's returns is a lot of doctors are partners in surgery centers, for example. Huh. And, their accountants sometimes treat that K-1 they're getting from the surgery center as earned income. We argue that it's passive income in a lot of cases because unless you're there working in the surgery center itself, as working for the surgery center, then you're not actively participating in it. You're not actively working right. in it. And doctors say, well, I do surgeries there. Well, you do surgeries there, but you're more of a customer of the surgery center by doing your, you know, you're renting or your patient. Is rental. Rental there. Oh, I love that. That's cool. So, so let's not just immediately jump out and say, Hey, I have, I, I can't use this stuff. Let's look into it. Also, maybe you structure your investing differently. If you know you can get a hundred thousand dollar write off from real estate losses, Maybe we do some other passive investing that we know is going to generate $100,000 of income. Now, again, we've created $100,000 of tax-free income. Tax-free income. So, and how would you do that? So, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, let's say a guy has a stock portfolio and he's got several dividend-paying producing stocks and they're, they're producing, I don't know, $10,000 a year in, in, uh, in income from, and that's passive income, right? Any kind of a dividend from a well, stock? no, unfortunately, so... Back, back, 
Back in the Reagan one up. Back, back during the Reagan administration, we used to have one kind of tax. All income was taxed the same. And then we had tax simplification come in under the Reagan administration. I love Reagan, but simplification. we had tax simplification and tax simplification said we have to take one type of income and simplify it into three different kinds of income. And that's <laughs> where we got earned income, passive income, and there's a middle one called portfolio income. Ah, oh, the middle one. Yes, yes the portfolio one. income to us who are trying to build wealth and create a legacy, portfolio income sounds a whole lot like passive income. Portfolio income is really from paper assets. So it's stocks and bonds, interest and dividends, that sort of stuff. And that sounds passive to us, but that would only leave two types of income. And remember, they're trying to simplify it. So we had to have three kinds. (laughs) Right. And, And so those have to sit in their own world, but you can still go out and invest. So you're not going to be hitting, you know, your normal Charles Schwab investment type things, you're going to go to want to work with a financial planner who has more diversity and, you know, look to invest in limited partnerships. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. Maybe some limited partnerships or what, how does, how does, how is lending treated, Warren? Lending is treated as interest income unless you, unless you create an actual business and as you kind of become a bank almost and, and then we can convert it over. Okay. All right. So what you're saying is there's a chance. There is a chance. Yeah. And and it doesn't have to be this year, right? So, so if you get this hundred thousand dollar loss this year and you say, man, I can't find a good investment. I don't want to just throw my money into something and and not pay off. It's okay. Earn a hundred thousand dollars passive income next year. That hundred thousand you couldn't take this year rolls forward to next year. And then we get it and you still get the tax-free income next year. So it's, it's, Definitely worth it. And, and there's a lot of funds and there's a lot of private money things that are out there that generate passive income. You know, don't. Okay. Yeah. Right. So now so we're so racking we're, our brains trying to divvy up the three. Yeah. I'm like, wait, <laughs> hang on. Well, that's good though. Okay. I mean, cause that means a lot of, um, that means a lot of our clients, a lot of people who are listening to, um, to this show right now can use a cost segregation study where I think a lot of them have been told very, very plainly by their accountants that it's no good and that they shouldn't even try to use it. And you're saying, well, wait just a second. If you're a high incomer, we, we probably can use it in one way or another. And you may be already doing certain things that would qualify anyway. Right. We just need to look at what you're doing. It might even require us maybe dissecting your business into a couple different parts. Maybe the maybe maybe if you and I'm not going to give you an example off the top of my head because I can't. But uh, let's let's say you know we've got a guy that runs a, a company doing a bunch of different stuff. Maybe there's a piece of that company that could be siphoned off to some to another company that he might become passive in the operations of that one part. Right, which works all the time for physicians and and dentists and um, people who. I mean, because the, I, I hear about all of them and the, the different things that they do where they have, you know, part ownership in, a, in another um, in another facility where they don't even go. Right. I mean, that, that obviously that could work. And, and there's there's liability protection reasons for doing it too, kind of not keeping everything in one basket. So, you know, we, we have to look at you when we're doing a tax strategy, whether it's involving real estate and cost segregation or not, we have to look at you holistically. What it's not just that business or not just this category of investments. We have to look at everything you're doing and put it together 
and, and see how these pieces come together and maybe be willing to trade pieces out. Hey, I've got all this. I've got this Charles Schwab account I've been doing for years and years and years. Maybe I need to take a little piece of it out and invest in something that's going to not only give me a decent return, but give me a better tax situation. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think that's where a lot of people miss out. I did for years, Warren. I mean, I, you, you knew when I, when I came to see you, I was, I was about done with business. I mean, that's like the, the year before I came Blow to see Blow it up. Yep. Yeah. Angela knows I, I paid, I paid the same amount in, in taxes as I took home that year. And, you know, people out there who don't understand business, they say, how in the world could that possibly happen? Well, you know, I, I had money that was still left in the account at the end of the year and I needed it to operate my business. And so, you know, I had, I already had like, a, you know, I was at whatever, 39 and a half percent tax bracket on that money. So 40% of all the money I had in the bank was taxed, even right. though I didn't get my grubby little hands on it. <laughs> so by the end of the day, not funny. I literally was writing a check for the exact amount of money that I took out of the company personally took out of the company that year. In other words, I net made no money being in business for a solid year. And Oh yeah, easily. If you pay time, you got 39.9%, you know, you're 40% there. You got state taxes. You got the payroll taxes you're paying for people on your staff. You got, you know, you're easily well over 50% before you even, you know, breathe. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. absurd. And then I go back to what I, what I stated at the beginning of this. And this is the, this is the insidious piece of this, right? Is that, People don't realize what taxes are actually doing to their wealth building. They write the check or it comes out of their check and they don't even notice it. And they don't realize the power that it has on their wealth. And, um, you know, that penny a day is, is really stark contrast. I mean, we're talking about almost 50,000 versus 5 million in the exact same period of time with the exact same thing happening. I mean, literally it's the exact same thing. The only difference is, but the gain is taxed um, every, every, on every day, right? This is, it, right. It, that's. Well, and let's look at the spiral, the other spiral, the positive, the upward spiral. So let's say you're, you, you, you've got some money put aside and we're able to do investment one. And investment one generates a certain amount of tax savings for us. So if we just take that tax savings, it's kind of playing with the house's money, if you would, and take right. that reinvest it into the next thing that's going to give us tax savings. So now I've got a double investment going into tax savings and that's so I get even more tax savings. And then if I take that money and invest it in another tax savings and it's triple, then, you know, we keep spiraling upward to pretty soon, you know, you're getting a bunch of income. You don't need to work and maybe getting food stamps. <laughs> nice. Cause you're so broke. Right. I love being broke by the way. I am broke. I love being broke. It's the greatest thing on the world uh, to be broke. Um, and I appreciate Warren, you helping me remain broke. <laughs> Sorry, I broke you. That is a talent. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Everyone should try it. Yeah. Um, so well, go ahead. Angela. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, going back to this cost segregation thing, I was just wondering, like, you know, people out there listening to this and for me, like, how do we know if our CPA knows about this like is this something that all cp i mean they're not all the same right is there any way for us to know if our cpa you know is going to be able to help us with cost segregation or a way to well you know i guess first you know ask, what i'm getting at here <laughs> first ask and so here's here's the difference between 
kind of a lot of CPAs and what we do. So we work, we work with people planning throughout the year to see where they're going to end up. We don't wait till the end of the year, you send us the tax stuff and we say, okay, here's the results. You okay. know, and I think that's that the kind really of CPA I have. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, I used to always say, you know, if you, if you ask the right questions to a CPA or, or any tax professional, really, you'll get the right answers. And yeah, not even that's not so true anymore, but, uh, but it still requires you to ask the questions. So, you know, that's something you need to look at. If your situation is, you know, you're just paying tax because that's what you're told to do. Do you have a strategy? You guys have strategies for wealth. You have strategies for your business. You have strategies for relationships. You have strategies for everything. How about a strategy for tax? I mean, but there are, it is yeah. possible to strategize. You don't just have to just pay, you know, you can plan and pay less. And so are you doing a strategy or are you just paying? Is your is your CPA a tax preparer or are they a strategist? And that's, Ouch! No, I'm the, just kidding. <laughs> the difference the difference there, guys, is is massive. Yeah. The year that I made the switch from what Warren just described, um, where uh, and and you you you're right. I mean, I think it was kind of you to say that if you ask the right questions of nearly anyone that's in the business you're going to get the right answer, but that is absolutely not the case because I asked the right questions and I was told, yeah, this is what happens when you make a lot of money. And yeah, I, I, I remember <laughs> my, the shocked look on my face. I looked at him and I said, well, how is anyone in business then? Because this doesn't make any sense. I said, next year, I'm going to pay taxes out of the money that I'm making. Therefore, I'm going to be my, my snowball that you were talking about, Warren, the snowball continues to go because I, I don't have the money to pay 50% because I have to operate my business out of that money, right? So now I'm creating a larger tax because I'm taking money out of the company to pay the taxes for last year and I'm taxed on that money. <laughs> and when I asked the question and that was the answer I got, I was like, oh my gosh, okay, well, I've got to find somebody who understands this because obviously a whole lot of other people are not playing the game the same way because otherwise there would be no businesses in America. Um, right. And so the difference is, is stark. And I, and I think when you, to all the people out there listening, I think when you ask your, uh, your accountant simple questions like that and the answer you get back is not what you want to hear, it's time to go look for somebody else that, that is a professional. I, could, I, I, I would recommend Warren and his company, Taro Accounting, uh, every day and twice on Sunday, although I think you're closed on Sunday, except for during tax season. I think you work every day, 24 hours a day, isn't it? Yeah, and twice on Sunday. And twice, twice on, on Sunday. Sunday. That's you right. got it right. Okay. That's right. Uh, so, okay. well, man, I, I um, yeah, we'd love to have you back, Warren, because I think there's a whole lot of things that that we could talk about as far as strategy goes with with business owners. So if you're if you're willing to come back, we'd love to have you. Back this, I, this I'd love to. Just remember, you know, you know, your results may vary, right? Your, your results, results may vary. Your results okay. may vary. We're not giving any tax advice today. I know. Hey, I know we got to wrap up, guys. I'm sorry I keep going back to this, but I have one more question on the cost segregation thing. So um, what happens when you go to sell that property that you had the cost segregation on and you uh, depreciated early and all that? What, what happens when you sell it? Anything? 
Where did, where did you get her? She answers all the good, hard questions. I know. Oh. And, and, you know, she thought it was going to be a real quick answer, too. It's not. It's okay. Oh, it's not. Okay. I'm sorry. No, Give no, me, like, no. the quick Reader's but, Digest. So, so, no, you can't take the question back. Okay. Okay. You've already asked. <laughs> in the, it's uh, in the universe. What are we going to do? So, so, so the quick answer is, you know, as you take depreciation, whether we've taken bonus depreciation, accelerated, any kind of depreciation, we're lowering our basis in that property. So when you sell it, we're going to be increasing our gain. So by doing a cost segregation study, yes, we're getting a savings today. And at some point, we are probably going to have to pay the tax on it at some point. But time value of money says I'd rather have the deduction now. And use it, right? And use it and worry about that in the future. And there's a few ways we can worry about that in the future. We got 1031 exchanges. We can go and simply buy more property that's going to create another loss with the money we sold. There, there's a lot of options out there. Okay. Um, I'm right in the middle buying, of doing this. Like we brought right up now. in the beginning. Okay. <laughs> You're I'm, doing I'm, right, I'm right in the middle of doing this right now. And I, I called Warren and asked him the same exact question. And he, you know, he's giving me a ton of different strategies with, that I can use to be able to not have a massive tax bill. And I think that's the other misnomer out there on this particular tax strategy is that, well, you, you got to pay it anyway. So why would you even do that? Because you're just going to get hit with this massive. Right. Right. I've heard people say that. So I was curious, which is is partially true, but it's not all the way true as Warren just said. So my response to those people would be, I'll tell you what, and and I'll do this as a favor for them because they obviously think it's better to pay now and not have later. So I will offer all your listeners out there. Anybody who wants to write me a check for $100,000 today. And in 10 years from now, I will pay you not only that $100,000, I'll cover $100,000 worth of your taxes, but I'll throw in an extra $10,000 because I'm a nice guy. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. What a nice deal. That's, that's All really right. Good. So if people uh, want to take you up on that, we'll, we'll get them. We'll get them <laughs> so I, how do people get a hold of you, Warren, for that awesome? Yeah. Uh, how, do we, how do they reach you? <laughs> uh, slash any kind of tax, uh, tax planning services that, that you have. How would somebody get a I mean? depending on what they want to take advantage of. Right. Uh, Warren's offering uh, to, to $100,000 that they can pay you or, or tax for yeah. your uh, passive losses. <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, so yeah, so you can check out our website, tacpas.com, tarlaccountingcpas.com. Uh, uh, okay. Facebook page is kind of fun. We try to have fun with the Facebook page. So. It is great. Warren's videos are hilarious. Uh, I, I know you, I know you wouldn't believe that, but, he is a CPA that has a sense of humor, which is unique in the world anyway. So if you're going to, you know, look for an accountant, that, that usually never happens. That's a huge selling point right there. So, right? Not yeah. only is he good, but he actually can crack a joke. I love it. Well, the tax goes pretty much a joke, so. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So make sure you guys check Warren out and thanks so much for being here, Warren. We loved having you. Um, and, and like Ron said, we'd love to have you on again. It went by so fast, which is weird because we were talking about taxes and stuff, (laughs) Uh, but we loved having you. Thanks so much for being here. Anytime guys. Thanks. And, uh, any of you listening, um, you can always go subscribe to our show, check out, uh, get and let us know what you think or any questions you have. Don't keep Um, a secret. Yeah. Feel free to share our show, like us, give us a rating and, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, look forward to you guys listening next time. Thanks. Bye guys. 
This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.